You're listening to the Get Fucking Real Show. Strap in as your host, Lisa Cherney, takes you on a ride full of GFR moments. From powerful messages to exclusive interviews to untold stories of super shitty moments before big successes. And even real-life confessions. Lisa's been mentoring millionaire entrepreneurs for over 20 years, coaching top coaches and tapping her mighty woo-woo side to mentor the best of the best spiritual peeps. It's time to bring on the straight talk from successful, soulful entrepreneurs, inspiring you to live without regrets, to create your legacy, and be unapologetically you. And now, it's time to GFR. Life is too short to be a slave to your own dream Cause I'm working too hard And I want to feel so alive I jump out of bed because I love my life Living on my terms, I know that I will thrive Being myself, clarity will love pride So I'll stand out and be J-U-I-C-Y Hello, welcome to the GFR show. I'm Lisa Cherney. I'm your host. And our special guest today, it has a special place in our hearts here because they helped birth the GFR podcast and the GFR commandments and really the whole movement that is GFR. I am so excited for you to meet them. Before we go any further, I'm going to ask you a thought-provoking question, because that's what we do here, just to get you kind of into the vibe of what we're going to talk about today. So here's the question. Have you ever felt stifled by your gender? Have you ever felt you should, you felt like you were pigeonholed with the way you should dress or the way people expected you to dress or where you would use the restroom or, you know, what people thought about you? or anything like that? Have you ever felt stifled by your gender? Well, today's guest is Michaela Rogers, and she is a social impact entrepreneur, and she co-owns a company called Scale Naturally. And that is the company that I invested in working with to really figure out what my next business expression looked like. So this is going back to 2018 when I knew something new was coming through, didn't know what it was. And I was, I needed coach to really help me think outside the box, like to really create something on my terms, you know, based on like who I am, my, my preferences, and also really looking at what didn't work for me with my old business, the seven figure business that I decided to walk away from in 2014 because I didn't really love it. So scale naturally, Michaela Rogers and her partner, Fia Lynn Crandall were the ones that I worked with. And so I'm so excited to get to have Michaela on the podcast today. Just like such a beautiful, like full circle moment. And she's cool as shit. Cannot wait for you to meet her. So she has a couple of businesses and they all make some kind of impact and advocacy. And it's so beautiful. So for Scale Naturally, 
they the focus of the business is that they work with mission-driven entrepreneurs like me and organizations to develop leadership through their unique profiling tool called natural design. And they prioritize mental health and well-being. And they consult with executives and teams to make a positive impact in the world. The other business that Michaela co-owns is called Frankie D's Donuts. And I'm warning you now, do not go to their Instagram because they don't ship. No, I'm just, their Instagram is delightful because Frankie is their dog and Frankie, she is like the, the business owner and it's from her perspective and there's donut porn there. So I'm just, I'm just warning you, they don't ship, but boy, do the donuts look yummy. And anyway, so they combine their made from scratch donuts with community action, like helping to foster connections, reduce loneliness, and emphasizing the importance of community, which I just freaking love. So a little bit more about Michaela. So Michaela's pronouns are they, she, and she, and they, and they, she are a passionate advocate, speaker, and facilitator dedicated to mental health awareness and fostering empathy-driven action. As a queer, non-binary individual, Michaela draws from personal experience and a journey of healing from childhood trauma. Their advocacy work encompasses crucial topics like anxiety, depression, LGBTQ plus education, suicide prevention, really all aiming to break the stigma and create a sense of belonging for all. So, I mean, I can't say enough about how beautiful their expression is in the world. And of course, inspired our opening question about gender. So Michaela will talk a lot about her journey to discovering her non-binary gender identity, as well as her queer sexual identity. And there's something I actually learned about how pronouns are presented from Michaela that I think you all will find really interesting. And also how pronouns can really be a way that we are advocates and allies for the various communities that find the use of pronouns to be very life-affirming. Oh my goodness. So what else do I want to say about Michaela? I could just say so much. I love them dearly. We became fast friends, you know, while I was working with them. And it's been such a beautiful connection and you will see their heart and I just adore them. And we joke because they wind up using air quotes a lot <laughs> during, during the interview. And we will, our intention is to release this as a video as well. So if you're listening on the podcast, our intention is also for it to be, you can find it on my YouTube channel as well. So you'd be able to see her air quotes. <laughs> But we'd laugh a lot because if you're listening on audio, you can't see her air quotes and it just becomes like very, very funny. So we have a lot of laughs and also talk a lot about our GFR commandment number three, which is don't worry about being normal, proper or polite. Where are you not speaking your truth? So, so profound, puts a really beautiful, fine point on what does it mean to have a journey with your sexual and gender identity and its connection with our mental health. So I cannot wait for you to meet them. Without further ado, Michaela Rogers. Michaela, you're on the GFR show. I'm so excited. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. I told everybody in the intro just how special this episode is and having you on is. And it's it's like, I don't know, what is it? It's like a like a a mother helps their you know, births a child and then the child then like comes back and interviews them. That would be me. <laughs> I'm like, I'll be back in interviewing somebody who helps me birth this. And I'm I'm so honored. So it has been five years. So 2018 is when I came to Canmore and worked with you. And mm-hmm. It's so, I mean, it's so bizarre because of course COVID just, I don't know, like ages us double. I don't know. There's some weird time like thing (laughs) that has happened with that. But so the show is four years old and Mm -hmm. having you on is the divine, right? Perfect time. So welcome, welcome. Thank you. Yeah. I can't believe the whole like full circle to be here with you on this podcast that you birthed here in Canmore, where I live. And oh my gosh, it's been a wild, what did you say? Five years since yeah, we five years. Like, really met. Wow. Yeah. And the GFR commandments, like, you know, I tell the story about how they were birthed and I, I always gloss over the fact that I, sometimes I say I was on a plane on the way to a retreat, but most of the time I just, I say that I was like making notes, you know, about my past or something, but I didn't share this in the intro, but it was, it was on the plane to the scale naturally retreat, my first one. And then I worked with you guys for, I think three years and, but it was on the plane, the, the notes that led to the GFR commandments were from questions. You all asked, it was like my homework that you all gave me. And they were like, Oh my God, y'all, they love asking good questions. And so helped me. And I just had pages and pages and pages of notes. And then I started writing in the margin, like the themes. Basically, it was like, okay, how do I help people? I was like, how the fuck do I help people? You know, and so (laughs) I was like writing in the margin, like, oh, this one was like, this is the things that I would hear myself say over and over. Don't compromise, Mm -hmm. trust yourself, trust your gut and all this. And then y'all like I came to the to the retreat with like these 12 things. And I didn't know what they were. I think I came up with a different name for them, but then. But then we we discovered GFR, get fucking real, and then became the get fucking real commandments. And so yes, here you that was are. So much fun. Yes. And we would always reference you because you were the fastest person to go through everything to the end, go to the retreat. Because a lot of people would oh. take, you know, like however long, but sometimes 90 days, six months, a year, and then they would come to the retreat. And I think yours was like two weeks or something. And so you're <laughs> on the plane, like still finishing all the pre-work. <laughs> it's timing though. It was. It was. I was so ready. I could feel the new th- business expression coming out of my pores. And it was like, I need to mm. like figure out what form this is taking. And mm-hmm. I so wanted a different container than I had ever been in. And, you know, your y'all specialty is, you know, a business model that's completely customized to that person. And I had like very little reference point as to what business model like possibilities there are. And now I've tell you that I definitely feel like I help my clients to just think out of the box and like, you know, create it as they go. And I think that's a big, you know, thing now we do in Unmentor is, you know, we don't use your beautiful tool, the natural design tool. And I think just giving people permission to have it be however the fuck they want it to be. Like, no, you don't need to be on social media every day. No, you don't need to, 
whatever, whatever. I mean, everything. yeah, totally. I think like shame is so rampant in the world. Like we always think what's wrong with us or why can't I do that? Why can't I, we compare ourselves so much, but oftentimes, you know, like what's natural to someone else is not natural to the other person, but in the online world anyway. And I know you and I like rant about this all the time, but there's so much like how to, and like, if you just do ABC like me, you two will be successful. And then it ends up with a whole bunch of mental health problems or just doubting yourself because you invest so much money. And then, yeah, I just love GFR. And I feel like when you birthed GFR with us, like you transformed us at the same time because just the energy of Get Fucking Real was like so huge. And I know like just on my journey with like mental health and different like gender and sexuality stuff, I know how important GFR has been for me in that. And I've got your swag and your shirt. And oftentimes I like put it on and I'm walking around the house and I'm, I like use it when I need to like really actually be myself if I'm finding that hard for some reason. So GFR feels like such a transmission of energy to just be yourself. I love that. Ah, I love that. And I, and I, I feel like, I don't know if I shared this with you. Maybe I have some, my Mikhail and I, we have a Voxer based relationship. <laughs> so we haven't seen each other in not, it hasn't been five years, maybe three years or just before the pandemic, I think. Yeah. And Voxer is an app and they call it a walkie talkie app, but it's audio based messages. And so that is our relationship. And wait, now I can't remember what I was going to say. Um, <laughs> I remember sharing with you when the like the t-shirts were ready and the idea of liberation the the word liberation and the idea of liberation feels like it's the next gen of gfr it's like what what is the outcome of get fucking real it is liberation and so i'm really living into that my intention this year is you know i am liberation and whenever i say like liberation no no it feels like (laughs) another word comes out of my mouth it's like have some kind of emphasis (laughs) yeah that feels like a video game you know where like the sound comes on liberation yes liberation yes and this is totally on topic for your story so just in case anyone feels like we're on a tangent we are not we're not on a tangent this is (laughs) totally what we're talking about today is I mean ironically is about get fucking real and Mm -hmm. it is about (sighs) rejecting the norms and finding our way and shame is an epidemic in, you know, in, in the online business world, it is, and in, in, in my unmentor clients, it is a huge thing that we, you know, that we look at and transform. And for you, it really, like, there's a big spotlight for you when it comes to that theme of shame around gender and sexual identity. And I'm so excited to the evidence of your healing is that you're on the show and talking about this with me and that you're currently on video with me on zoom video with me, which is an evidence of your healing. And so just like fucking being here is a celebration of your gender and sexual identity journey. So where would you like to start in in talking about that? Well, I'm curious, like your perception of me when we met like five years ago, because I looked different. I wasn't on video, you know, I was just, I was deep in therapy, which I still am, but like therapy is such an ongoing thing. Here's a little plug for therapy, but I was deep in therapy dealing with like past trauma and I couldn't 
you know, I was coaching clients internationally and using Zoom before Zoom became like a verb. I didn't know the word Zooming existed until the <laughs> pandemic. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I couldn't be on video. And so you didn't actually see me in person until you came to Camor for the retreat. And honestly, I don't even remember what I looked like, but I'm curious through your eyes, what you've seen change over the past five years. Yeah. So because I went to the retreat first, I did get, you know, I didn't have an experience actually of not seeing you on Zoom until after the retreat. So that was... I'm thinking of all these things to say and they're really me focused. It's like, that was like a bummer. You know, that was like startling. Like what? You're not going to come on Zoom? What? You know, because I had such a profound experience with you and we, you and I had to just have a special connection. Like that was the inception of that special connection. And Mm -hmm not just as client, you know, client mentor, but as friends. And so that was kind of a bummer. And it was, it was just, but it's always so, it's always for me now, really interesting, wonderful, a transformative experience to, to have somebody set a boundary or, or really say something like, this is works for me. This doesn't work for me. That is quote unquote out of the norm because it's such a, for me, such a, like, I'm like, you go girl. Like, or, you know, it's like, yes, <laughs> like don't do shit. You don't want to do like, I'm always so excited for people that have that courage to make those declarations. And that's a pretty big one for an online business person, you know, to say like, I'm not comfortable being on camera. So do you want to share a little bit more about what was going on for you with that and like you could just talk about that aspect of your healing yeah sure yeah I just feel like I couldn't I was just so deep into therapy and healing from trauma that I wasn't able to be on camera like I had triggers with cameras and webcams and stuff like that and so it was an interesting thing to have an online business to have a business in general and not be able to put my face on camera And then I remember the first time I ever came on camera and just huge credit to my team of therapists that like helped me get to that point. And I remember how emotional you were and that had me be emotional because it was like, I don't know, like for me, when I'm so in it, sometimes I don't see my own progress. Like I remember for a period of time, I couldn't look people in the eye, let alone be on camera. And I remember like, my therapist actually noticing that before I noticed that I was able to look people in the eye. And I think it was like a very similar thing with this camera experience where it was just this journey that I didn't necessarily notice as much, but seeing your emotion because you watched me not be able to do that to then be comfortable on camera. That had me be so emotional. It's like I witnessed my own journey through your eyes. And then when you started seeing me on social media more and doing stupid, silly dances and building like another online business, like through social media. And then I would get your messages on Foxer and I would feel your emotion as you witness me. And I think that's been incredibly healing for me because I don't necessarily, I can look back and see like a really big change, but the day to day, I don't notice it. I think it's more incremental, but when you send me messages and you're reflecting back, like who you know me to be, knew me to be and who I am now, that makes me super emotional. It's it's like a blessing to have someone be able to witness that journey who loves you so much through all of it. And that love didn't change the entire time. But to see that witness is like very, very healing. So this just became like a very big, like, thank you to you episode. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh my gosh, you're so welcome. And and I think it to our listeners, tell people in your life when you notice their progress and when you notice their evolution. It's so important. Yeah, it's really, really important. Yeah. So, so to answer your question about my impression of you then and now, in a way, there's no change. Like looking at you now on camera, like I want to fucking hug you so hard. <laughs> I'm like, I want to hug you so bad. And that hasn't changed, right? Like my, the way that I relate to a journey of identifying yourself differently over time is my journey with my body and my body size and my fat phobia, my internalized fat phobia. And you know, one of the lessons that I learned is I haven't changed even, even though my body's bigger like that, you know, right. but, but when I first started my journey in 2021, where I declared that I was stop dieting and the episode's called fuck dieting. If you want to look that up, we'll put a link in the show notes. <laughs> I, I felt like, gosh, I don't even know what's the metaphor. I mean, I felt like I was like having plastic surgery. Like I felt like, you know, I grew an extra arm or something like that's how different I felt being in a bigger body. And I just thought like it changed everything. It changed everything the way people see me. Like, you know, like as if I had a different face, like that's how extreme it was. And to get to a place where I can really not perfectly and not all of me all the time, but really connect with like, I'm the same person and see myself as the same person is that's a measure of my progress. And so when I, you know, when I'm experiencing you, even though you now identify as non-binary and you're flying your beautiful queer flag and all that, to me, there's no change. If that, does that? Yeah, it totally yeah. makes sense. Because I feel like what's special about our relationship and you is that you saw inside of me. That seems like weird. Now I'm thinking about that. <laughs> <laughs> the real you, the true you. Yeah, yeah, right on. <laughs> I'm not cutting that out. <laughs> You thought, like, I feel Lynn says this, I feel like she saw me all along. My outside appearance has changed. And I feel like what I've, my journey has been taking what's inside and kind of like unfucking myself to then mm -hmm. take the inside to be able to be seen on the outside. And that's where I feel like I'm still on that journey now, like where I have discomfort and I go into the clothing stores and I'm like still grappling with this whole journey of being non-binary and what all that means for me. But it's just a journey of having my outside look what my inside feels and is and has been the whole time. And I feel like you're one of those people in my life that saw that light all along, no matter what my outside mask was. And I don't know that like, even at the time, I feel like we're talking about all of this change and I haven't even named it. <laughs> you did okay. the non-binary journey, but <laughs> yeah, like you knew me as queer because like feeling and I were together but like growing up, my head was just, don't be gay, don't be gay, don't be gay, don't be gay. And if Fia hadn't told me her feelings for me, I would probably be married to a man with a white picket fence and kids, miserable, or I would not be here because of the depression and the suicide attempts that I was having throughout my life for a multitude of reasons and trauma included. But one of them being that I was just so focused on not being gay that I never considered if I was or not. It was just like gay was bad. It was this disease. It was always something that was like hidden or secret. And it just like put in my head that, well, you don't want to be bullied more than you already are. So just don't be gay. And I never even considered it. 
until I just thought Theo and I were really good friends <laughs> until she told me <laughs> how she felt. And I'll forever be grateful for that because it made me like, it, I just went into like a shit storm of shame and I had to grapple with all this internalized homophobia that I had had my whole life to get to the point where I could be in a relationship with her, you know, and now like be together for however many years it's been and have our family. And I'm just like so lucky and blessed with all of that. But so you knew me as being queer and being like somewhat comfortable with it. But I also feel like we never, we were like together, but we never put our queerness out there in public until we started randomly a donut business in 2020. And it was like a very conscious decision of, are we going to say that we're together publicly? And to all of our clients in Scale Naturally, well, of course we were together, but we never put queer on the website. We never like, I put the flag anywhere. It's like, we still didn't want to be identified in that community because of all the internalized homophobia of like what that would mean and people maybe judging us and not liking us just because of that. And I feel like that's been such a journey for me. And what I didn't realize along this like queer journey and coming out was that I also had internalized transphobia and I had a lot of issues related to my gender. And like, so I, I feel like that's the journey you've seen. Like you've seen a healing journey where you've been able to see me be on camera and be myself. And then you've witnessed kind of this non-binary journey. And now we're talking about kind of like what that means for me. And you're meeting me as non-binary. And that's been such a wild journey for me to uncover gender and to even come out as non-binary because it's a whole other layer of feeling. I don't know. I'm going to be harmed or judged because of what's on the outside now can actually be seen when it was always on the inside. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's scary. Yes. Isn't it so interesting how much of our identity journey is about what is on the outside and what that means and what other people think, where our place is in society and just all the external context of that, just creating such fucking friction for us to discover who we are. And I think I'm more attuned to it than I was before I had a kid. And now mm -hmm. my kid is really in, you know, just right in that sweet spot of her identity, yeah. you know, her, who, you know, her journey of her sexuality, her gender identity and how, and she's, <laughs> she was in the theater and, and drama in high school. So <laughs> just a beautiful community of like, everything's, everything's okay. We don't care where were you want, you know, dresses, makeup, like whatever, we don't mm -hmm. care what, how you identify. And it's, mm -hmm. it's just the norm in that community. And you know, and then of course, she's also had the experience of her parents being non-monogamous for a period and having, mm -hmm. you know, that sort of option illuminated. And so it's just like, there's such a contrast between ah, our journey as, you know, 40, 50 somethings, you know, and you're young though. You're, did you fall, do you fall in the 40s? No, you're still in the thirties. Tell me. You're 29. 29, 29. See, and that, see, that just shows like how completely irrelevant age is. Cause I have 
no, like it, there's no association at all, like with that. But I just then I like remember, oh, she's younger, and like, what is that? Doesn't even matter. <laughs> Except when I make a generalization about 40s, 50s. So, so scratch that because it, it's not about age, right? It's not about the decade we were born. It is, it is about our upbringing and what was okay we when we were when we were growing up, right? Totally, and that, yeah. yeah, that there was there was not there was not that supportive environment of like go figure out who you are. We don't, you know, we don't care. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, we even joke in our so family, different. we're like, oh, we hope he's gay. You know, we're just like talking about one of our friends. Like, he's our last hope, you know? Like, we <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, it's such a, we all grew up in such different times. I mean, Fiona and I did too. And and I remember like Fiona and I talk about our upbringing and like what representation we saw. And, you know, like she didn't see any. And then I grew up in Australia and it was just like, gay was a slur, you know, and mm. a derogatory thing. And it meant that you're a loser. And there was, it was just prevalent throughout my entire life. I don't remember a year or a moment where this don't be gay thing was like in my head because it had been put in my head through my upbringing from society. And it was just everywhere for me. And Fiona and I have just very different upbringings based on that. And the issues that we have without sexuality are, is vastly different because of it. And then I see people today and that's why I feel passionate to be like in a spot where I can share about my journey with being gay, but also with like being non-binary, because if it's just one person has their kid or cousin or friend or niece or nephew or, or is listening and is themselves like that matters. That's the only thing that matters to me is like, because I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for representation, if it wasn't for one person, like feel in saying something to me. And then the people I had in my life at that time who helped remove that shame and who loved me. And the first person that ever t used the word non-binary and told me about their journey, there's no way I would be non-binary now if I'd never heard the term or had someone share about it. So I just yes. feel like it's so important to have representation, especially as the laws and media and government is trying to put laws in place to take it away, it's more and more important to be able to be who we are on camera if we're able to. And I just feel grateful for the privilege I've had with the therapy and support to get to this place. And I just, if one person is helped, like that's all that matters to me every time that I speak now. Yeah. Yeah. So let's talk about Frankie D's. All right, y'all. I just... <laughs> First of all, you have to check out the Instagram. It brings like a smile to my face on a day-to-day -day basis. Not just because there's donut porn, but because <laughs> but because Michaela and her adorableness that shows up and and how passionate and how fun it is. And of course, Frankie is their their dog. And it, Frankie, it's Frankie's company. And so it's done from that perspective as well. What's the connection between donuts and like activism? Like, like what? <laughs> <laughs> so random, right? I feel like for, you know, like you met us and like we have Skill Naturally a consulting business. And like that was the trajectory of business life. Like that's what we thought. But in the background, end of 2019-ish, I had started, well, somewhere in 2019, I remember where I had started working on three brands and I was clear that I wanted us to start a second business and I wanted it to be focused on mental health advocacy. 
And so I had three different brands and ideas that I was developing to see, well, which one am I going to focus on first? And Frankie D's Donuts was not one of them. It was not one of the options. (laughs) They were completely different. But then in 2020, I was talking to one of my clients referred me to someone to help me with the branding. So I was on the phone call. We became fast friends. And at the end of the call, she said, oh, I didn't tell you I accidentally started this donut business. And she's in a small town. Her husband's a chef. And I just thought it was like the greatest thing I'd ever heard in my life to accidentally start a donut business. (laughs) So (laughs) I'm like, that sounds delicious. (laughs) So I ran out to Fiolin in the living room. Fiolin's already like waiting because she hears all this laughter and excitement in the other room. I come out and I'm like, hey, I think we should deliberately start a donut business. And <laughs> you should have seen her face. She was like, like what the fuck are you talking about? We don't know about? how to make donuts and we're like <laughs> consultants. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and for me, I was just looking for a product to be the vehicle for this mental health message and for activism. And that's exactly what it's turned out to be. We started playing with a recipe from this friend that I was talking to. Being business-minded people who did not have any idea how to bake, we bought the recipe, we got trained on it. Eventually, this friend was like, I can't help you anymore because the mountains and the altitude is changing how donuts are like proofing and being oh, made. And she was so confused by it and so was her husband. And just through trial and error, we built this business and we were trying to figure out what to name it because at that point, I still wasn't like on camera. Like I wasn't like the, I didn't want to be the face of anything. And so we named it after Frankie because I mean, to me, she has been a reason for, you know, she's six now, no seven for all these years that has got me out of bed because when I'm at my worst with depression, I still have to get feed her and take her out. And she's just a ball of love, unconditional love. I mean, we're so lucky to have dogs and we went to the park this one day and she ran out. There's dogs everywhere and people and there's a random man alone on the other side of the park. And she just bolts, you know, like to the other side of the park to this guy, spinning, giving him little kisses, saying hello, just like he's the greatest person in the world and she's so excited to see him. And he then comes and like walks around and you could tell he kind of, you know, he was slumped a little bit and he was not doing his best. And he said that, like, why did she choose me? Like, I don't have a dog mm-hmm. with me. I'm not interesting. Kind of like, I'm nothing. I don't matter. But it made his whole day to feel like he mattered. And this dog had all these distractions and other wonderful things, but chose him. And that's kind of the essence behind Frankie B's now is that we advocate for mental health. We t- try and reduce the stigma around mental illness to talk about like, you matter, no matter how differences you matter in this world and you're as worthy as anyone else. And it's been an incredible ride, giving people something to look forward to in the pandemic, being a part of deaths and marriages and just big moments in people's lives and them messaging Frankie on social media (laughs) to share what's going on in their lives and to share their mental illnesses and their struggles and their pains and know that someone is listening and, and gives a crap about them. And I think that like isolation and loneliness is such a prevalent issue that leads to, you know, depression and suicide and suicide is such a complex issue. But I know for me with my struggles, I always felt incredibly alone and like I didn't matter and I was a burden. And so we're trying to reduce loneliness 
one donut at a time now. And <laughs> we have little messages in our donut packs there. We have the way that we've set the values and how they're made is very much linked to mental health. And then we recently in the last couple of years started an experience called Donuts and Conversation. And that's where donuts have become a conduit for people to have hard conversations like LGBTQ issues, allyship, sexual violence. We've done the do's and donuts of how to intervene when you see violence and see something that's happening. So people are coming to the table to talk about hard things. And my intention is to bridge that gap where people will have conversations and understand each other's differences and that we're all human. And hopefully we all feel a little less alone in the world because for me, I feel like the biggest change has been feeling seen and understood. And when I feel like someone cares enough to want to know me and understand me because of that care, it's an experience and a feeling I can't quite describe. And I, I want everyone to be able to feel that. Mm, so amazing. So the donuts, they're also delicious. So that's donuts, cool. they look Y'all, I have not had a Frankie D's donut. It has been one of the most agonizing things about the pandemic is that I <laughs> was supposed to be there in person for a retreat that year. And yes. I wasn't. And there was donuts. And I didn't get any. And yeah, someday my dream. And they do not ship. So I'm, I apologize for that. Yet. They do not Everyone ship. Everyone is drooling. <laughs> not, when you do start to ship, girl. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. They're good. Yes. They're good. Let's talk about, so you, you've made references to really struggling with your mental health and depression. And for you, part of your experience has been suicidal ideation, suicide attempts, those. So, and we actually, it's interesting because a few episodes ago, I reran a very early episode, I think it was episode seven, with Scott Sargent. And the episode was about suicide prevention and his passion around that. And he was he was Olympic athlete, became a quadriplegic, and his whole journey. And a few years after that episode aired, he lost his battle with his mental health journey with depression and committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And, and it was a very, I don't know, intuitive kind of choice to rerun his episode and it's been really significant. And so I think, you know, GFR is really about talking about all the things that people don't talk about. And it is about really, really acknowledging that all us awesome entrepreneurs that help people have had some trauma. It, it, it pretty much is the truth. In my experience, that is the truth. And a lot of really great people that help people in this world, you know, come from their come from trauma. So it's normal. Trauma is normal. <laughs> and and yet we don't talk about it. You know, we don't you know, suicide isn't, you know, something that people talk about readily. And I know you're very comfortable now mm-hmm. talking mm-hmm. about your journey. So can you share mm-hmm. some of what you've, you know, kind of where it started for you and then how that has impacted your life? you know, and your life as an entrepreneur as well. Yeah, of course. And yeah, suicide, I mean, it's just like, it's a very complicated issue and I would never want to simplify it because I think that we all have such different experiences, whether you're someone that has struggled with it yourself or lost someone to suicide. 
there's just so many perspectives and angles to this problem, but it is a huge problem and suicide rates are just skyrocketing recently too. So it's something we need to talk about more. For me, I don't remember when I didn't have a suicidal thought, honestly. Like my first time I actively remember having a suicidal thought and plan in my head, I was probably maybe five, somewhere around that age. And it's so vivid in my memory. I know exactly how it was going to go and all of it. And that still is up until like 29. And I still have that problem. And depression isn't something that I feel like is like cured or solved or something like that. But it is something that I've struggled with my whole life and suicidal thoughts. And I've had multiple suicide attempts and what I call suicidal episodes. And suicidal episodes for me is where I am in an active state of where the suicidal thoughts and wanting to end my life is so extreme that I'm really actively trying to stop it in that moment where I'm having panic attacks or I'm in the shower with water, just fully clothed and water over me, just trying to wait until it'll pass. And it's been hard. I think it got worse before it got better. I started therapy and uncovering a lot of my childhood was very painful and and had my depression and suicidal thoughts increase for a period of time. And then I feel in my partner, she would struggle with this a lot because she would be in constant fear of if I was still going to be around or not. And also felt completely helpless as to what to do and how to save me. And the reality is like nothing she could or could not have done that would have made a difference really. You know, I think that, what makes a difference was her being there and supporting me and not leaving me alone, but she was not going to be the thing that saved me. And I think that that's important to note, but there was this one time where it was just another suicidal episode. I was rocking back and forth. My head is screaming, telling me to go. I have these voices in my head that I feel like are a distorted version of what I heard as a child. And it's in my own voice but it's telling me you're not enough, you're a burden, it's never going to get better, you know, things like that until it gets so loud that the only option is to try and end my life so that it will stop. I just want the pain to end. I want that voice in my head to end. And it seems like there's no way out. It's just a completely hopeless kind of like moment. And CLN would be there and I just, I couldn't see anywhere, any way out. And I committed to her that I would stay until I talked to my therapist and that that was my next step. And then that call with my therapist, she really helped to, and and constantly has helped to be a voice that goes against the ones in my head telling me that I'm stupid and not enough and don't belong and all of these things. And so as she would talk back and, and say with firmness and kindness that I am enough and that I do matter and try and talk back to this, It would calm me down to the point that I could stay another day or I could imagine that maybe I did want to stay here on this planet and maybe things would one day get better. And I realized that she's not going to be there every single time that this happens because it kept happening more and more often. And so I wrote myself a letter from the part of me that wanted to stay alive, that believed things could get better or that we would have memories one day that would make us so grateful we did stay. And from that part of myself, I wrote a letter to the version of myself that in these suicidal episodes of moments, can't imagine anything other than wanting to end my life and make all of this pain stop and the voices in my head stop. And that's been something that 
has saved my life over and over and over again because I now have something to go to when these thoughts get louder in my head. And BLN wrote me a letter and I just, I knew I needed more voices telling me to stay than to overpower the one in my head that's telling me to go. And that has been something that has helped me so much. And I think too, I'm just really passionate now about talking about this because like you said, people don't want to talk about it. And it's that shame. When we talk, shame can't exist anymore. And so I think more and more, I just want to hear more people talking about suicide so that it becomes more normalized to talk about it when we have those thoughts ourselves because suicide doesn't discriminate. It can happen to anyone, even if someone looks like they've got the best life and they're privileged with money and maybe they're white, so they're privileged with race or maybe they're straight and they're privileged with that in the sense that they're not being discriminated against for those reasons doesn't mean suicide isn't a risk for them. It's a risk for everyone. And yeah, I'm just passionate about talking at conferences and talking more about suicide to hopefully have someone, if, if my voice, like when I was going through stuff, I didn't have a voice. And I think that's been such an issue for me is I didn't have a voice like physically. Yes, I could talk, but like, I couldn't speak my truth, which is what so much of GFR is about. I couldn't speak my pain. I had secrets everywhere because I just like could not talk about my gender identity, sexuality, my trauma. Like I was just filled with secrets. And why I'm advocating now and talking is because other people's voices became my voice. Like their experience was like, I feel like that. That is the words to put to my experience. And if that, again, can help one person, I, I wrote I wrote an article under a pseudonym once and it got translated into languages and other languages and in these support groups. And someone said, I've never been able to describe what it feels like to the people closest to me. And I still can't, but your words are as close as it feels. And so they use that to explain to the people closest to them what they were going through. And I think, I mean, to this day, that'll be something I'll always be the proudest of is being able to give that back because that's what got me here to be alive today, to be out and to be non-binary and to be in the world and even in my community is because I was able to use other people's experiences and words and voice to have me feel less alone in the world. And like, maybe I'm not the only one going through it and maybe there's not something that's wrong with me. Yes. Yes. And I love when you said shame can't exist when we talk and the idea of the confession part of the show and the confession questions and the commandments, you know, are, you know, all about that as well and how powerful it is when we can share and what a gift to be able to have the words so that you can then share those and people can borrow them. I think that's so, so powerful. And of course, GFR commandment number three, which is one of your faves is don't Mm -hmm. worry about being normal, proper, or polite. And the confession Mm -hmm. question is where am I not speaking my truth? And just how much shame is involved in us not speaking our truth and us feeling like we need to be proper or polite or whatever the fuck that means that keeps us from saying the things. So I I love that about you. (laughs) Mm, It's like just a constant 
the constant thing in my head is trying to identify where I'm not speaking my truth because I think that it's such an insidious thing that you can't you kind of don't even notice it anymore when you've been doing it for so long until you need to like notice those subtleties of where you're not speaking your truth and I feel like for us to actually be able to express ourselves on the outside and in the world in alignment with who we are on the inside we have to speak our truth and every time that we don't we're stopping ourselves from expressing the outside you know and being who we are in the world and yeah it's been so important for me to learn how to speak my truth even if it's not proper like I always thought and I'd watch all these like motivational speakers or whatever in the personal Mm -hmm. development world and Air quotes on that, y'all, if you didn't see it. I love, yeah, air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> and again, this whole like comparison thing, it was like, oh my God, it's like so perfect. And the sentences are perfect. And there's no ums or are or likes. There's no rambling. There's no tangents. And I'm like, now I'm like, dude, I got ADHD. Like if I'm going to speak my truth, I don't know why I did air quotes that time. They are not relevant. <laughs> if I'm going to speak my truth. You're going a little overboard, Michaela, with the air quotes. No, just... Air quotes everywhere. They're so fun. They're so fun. <laughs> yeah, if like if I'm gonna speak my truth, it's gonna be with rambles and not concise, and I'm gonna get there, and there might be a tangent, and I might notice a squirrel, and it's gonna be my truth. Mm-hmm. It's not gonna be perfect, and I think that has been a really big thing for me to get over is not having scripts and not perfecting things, just being able to like trust that I'm allowed to talk and I'm allowed to take up space, and you know, in the 100 words, maybe five of them will really resonate with someone, and that's cool. Yes, that is cool. That is cool. Ah, so, so much I want to talk to you about. So for this last segment, I think that I would love for you to share medication and other modalities that have really been beneficial to you. And, oh, wait, before I, I have one, one other question I think I want to ask before that, which is, now, this is the question that's coming to me. So I'm just bringing it through, which is on a percentage basis, <laughs> how much has your gender and sexual identity journey helped your healing? Gosh, I don't know, but a lot. A lot. Um, like, yeah, I guess the, like in my head, the percentage is like how much is like, childhood trauma that was unrelated to sexuality and gender versus what right right and I think that there's so much of me that I'm still healing related to all of this but I think that me being on camera and looking people in the eye was not related to gender and sexuality but me starting Frankie D's now being a mental health speaker advocating doing diversity equity inclusion workshops wearing a freaking bandana cutting my hair being on social media is so largely to do with my journey with sexuality and specifically gender in the last few years, for sure. Yeah. And I think that I didn't know what I didn't know. And, and growing up, it was very much like I got bullied a lot because I looked like a boy because my hair was short and because I wanted to wear my brother's clothes and I got bullied constantly through all of school. But the the pain around not looking the way I was supposed to look as a girl was extreme for me to the point that I kept trying to figure it out and figure it out and look at other girls and how other people dress and by I think grade nine or 10 started dyeing my hair and being like oh, okay I'm meant to wear my uniform at this length and 
I remember like free dress days where you got to wear not your uniform. I hate it because they were the days I'd get bullied the most because I just, I did not understand it. I didn't know how to look like the other girls looked. And I was so uncomfortable in anything that I was wearing. And I then became very feminine. I added lots of color to my wardrobe as a young adult. I feel like I wore heels. I went into real estate and then business and speaking and workshops. And it was all like pencil skirts and blouses and being really feminine. And my hair was long. And I remember at a certain point, I felt like I would take photos or selfies and be like, oh, I think you've made it. Like you really like <laughs> look like everyone else now. <laughs> And I remember feeling a sense of confidence with that, that I could walk in heels and I could like dress a kind of a certain way. And I was like, okay, yeah, like I look pretty. There's air quotes again. You should just name this episode air quotes. I'll just call um, it air quotes. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle, and air quotes. <laughs> air quotes, yeah. And I remember feeling like, yeah, based on society or whatever, I thought, okay, well, now I'm beautiful because I can kind of do my makeup, but I'm not going to tell anyone that I really have no idea what I'm doing. We're just going to pretend that I know. And I always hated going shopping. I felt like everyone else knew what they were doing, but me, I, I hated all of it. And then the first time I heard someone in 2021, I believe, talk to me about their journey and them changing their pronouns and being non-binary I asked so many questions because I was like, well, what's non-binary? Like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And just this whole like gender scale and spectrum and like where all that fit. And I remember as a kid and like my whole life wondering if I was meant to be a man. And I kept thinking about, am I meant to be like a boy? Do I want to be a boy? Am I trans in that respect of wanting to transition to a man? And I would never tell anyone that I had these thoughts. Like, I still don't really talk about it publicly for whatever reason probably still my internalized shame. But when I heard the term non-binary, it like actually finally felt like there was a word that expressed or defined my experience with gender where I didn't want to be that. And I didn't want to be that. I wanted to be like in the middle where mm -hmm. I could be both or none. And that journey has been the most liberating thing for sure. Like being able to have people refer to me as they and them is a sense of euphoria that I can't quite put into words still, where I feel this sense of freedom that I never felt my whole life because I've been trying to fit into the norms. And I feel clear that I don't want to be a trans man. That's not what I've wanted all along. I've wanted to be non-binary. I just didn't know that existed. And yes. it's hard now where there is so much discrimination and where I got kicked out of bathrooms and I got so many people staring at me the wrong way in a girl's bathroom when I was a kid because I didn't look how I was meant to look apparently. And it hurt so bad to the point that before I was non-binary, I went to this country concert and I was standing in the line and I was still like, I looked feminine, but I was still looking around to make sure that other people weren't looking at me and that I fit. And it was the first time I realized, dude, like you've done everything to become feminine and you still are scared to go into the women's bathroom like you don't belong. And I think that now with laws that are literally telling me I can't go like into the bathroom that I want to go into or whatever, and people making my gender politics is taking something and bullying that I experienced as a kid that I thought, well, maybe it's just in your head and literally making it legal to do that and to now... Wow 
in the U.S. turn me away from service in a business because I'm gay. And to walk in and people, I feel like I look more gay on the outside than I ever have before. And that scares me because now it's legal to discriminate against me because of that. So it's definitely a hard thing where I feel more liberated than ever, but also kind of more fear than ever too. And, you know, I still have she and my pronouns because I'm scared to kind of fully commit to myself in the world that that's to say that that's not my gender at all. Because right now it gives me some sense of safety to still have it there because it's scary to not. And when it's not actually like true, but it's still there as some mechanism for safety, but it's still having me not be fully myself, which is hard to even say out loud. Yeah. Thank you for confessing that. That, That's so powerful. So Mm -hmm. powerful. And so I I hear that non-binary, it gives you a sense of liberation more than you've ever had in your life. And the more liberated you feel, there is a converse reaction around your safety. And that fucking sucks. Thank you, Mm -hmm. politics and and, and everything that contributes to that. Yeah. And so you were explaining to me before we started that your pronouns are they, she, and that the they being first is significant and that indicates your preference for they. And I didn't mm-hmm. know that. So I'm sharing that in case, you know, some of our listeners don't know that there is intentionality with the order of the way yeah. the pronouns appear. Yeah. Generally, if there's like they, she, they, he, he, they, she, they, or whatever, it's whatever comes first is the preference, like comfortable going by both, but whatever comes first is the preference. So I learned that because I first changed my pronouns to she, they, when I was exploring this thing, like I'd heard the term non-binary, but I didn't do anything about it. And as a business owner and a leader in the community, I was often on Zoom calls and I'm often out like presenting and have to introduce myself. And I wouldn't say pronouns because I wasn't I think like if I'm going to confess, really, I was lazy. Like, I don't think I understood the importance of it, but I also felt like I was just lazy. I was in a privileged position. Oh my God, here's the air quotes again. It was privileged position where I was like, well, I'm female. So I don't need, like, that's not a thing yeah. like, I need to worry about. Yeah. But I got on this Zoom call. It was a community initiative I was involved in. Everyone's on. They're all like people within our municipality and leadership. No one has pronouns except for one person whose pronouns were they, them. And in that moment, I felt the feeling of not belonging and where like you, like I felt that feeling of a playground where everyone's pointing at you and you're the one that stands Mm. out and you're different and it hurt. And I instantly went in and it's funny how like in that moment, I suddenly wasn't lazy anymore and could make the effort. And I went in and I was just going to add my pronouns, she, her, but I wrote she, they, clicked save. And all of a sudden now I'm like kind of out non-binary but also <laughs> I texted the CLN, my partner and I was like so change my pronouns here they are and she's like like publicly like what were you going to come out to me first or like she's like you really go for it hey so <laughs> I just didn't want that other person to be alone and even if I just wrote she her they wouldn't have been al- as alone but it was my kind of like first step coming out and then I did some diversity equity inclusion training locally by Bow Valley, DEI, Aurora Boren. And that's where I learned that what comes first is your preference. And so a few months later, someone asked me when they were writing my name tag, if I wanted they, she, and I was absolutely terrified, but also elated at the same time, like the biggest, goofiest smile on my face. 
And I went for it. And I think the next step is probably they, them. But I do notice that I'm going to events or I'm speaking or I'm on Zoom like as a business owner and pronouns are the, I would say, easiest thing you can do that makes such a profound difference. Speaking from my own experience, I walk into a room now and I'm the one with the only person in the room that has pronouns because they're different. And I feel that same feeling of standing out. Whereas when other people in the room that are cis, as in they identify as the sex that they were assigned at birth. So if your pronouns are she, her, or he, him, it makes such a difference because you'll be the person that I feel like I'm safe with that validates me as a human, that I'm as worthy as you are of existing. And so that's good. a pretty big feeling for a very yes. small thing of putting your pronouns on. And it's, it's, and people always ask like, what can I do? What can I do? They want to be advocates, you know, they yeah. want to be allies. Yeah. So we're telling you, we're telling yeah. you now, use your pronouns, even if they're she, yeah. her, he, him, that yeah. it, it's it an matters. indication that that is safe space for others. Yeah. I won't stand out if I'm in a room with everyone that has pronouns or on a Zoom call in your email right. signature when you're introducing yourself. Just put it everywhere. It's the simplest thing you can do that has me feel safe. And you don't know someone in the room that is non-binary that's not saying it or is like me that's like suicidal and struggling with depression that hasn't come out yet. But because you have pronouns, I feel like that one step closer to being able to be myself. So it really can save lives too because it could be the last room someone walks into where they feel that they don't belong. And maybe that's the last draw for them in their mind too. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that. So just to go back to the other question that I asked before I threw out this percentage thing. And my point with the percentage thing, I think like what was really coming to me is just like to really put a fine point on how fucking important your sexual and gender journey was to your mental health. You know, like even though you have childhood trauma and other things that, you know, are it's not so cut and dry. But I I just felt like that was really important to acknowledge. Yeah. Because obviously then to me, it shows that when we take that journey seriously, it could change our lives and make us happier and fully expressed and all that stuff. Yeah. So to, to go back to the question that I asked, and then I said, wait, before you answer this one. And so really, I asked about modalities that have helped you. And really, I think because we're, you know, here in our last few minutes, can you just talk a little bit about medication? Because I think that, right, like, I know for me, when I've taken medication for anxiety, which I have in the past, I felt like I, like, I gave up or like, you know, like it was like a last resort or, you know, like I couldn't handle it on my own. And so I needed meds or whatever. And I think the stigma of medication really prevents many people that can be really, really helped by it. I know you've had a journey with it. So can you share Mm -hmm. briefly kind of, you know, what that was like for you? Yeah, of course. And I, yeah, the stigma is so huge. And I feel like I would be the first person to encourage someone else to get on medication and do whatever the fuck you need to take care of yourself. Like screw the shame, screw what other people think. But it was funny that in turn, like I had internalized all of society's messages, like you just mentioned, where I was like, no, I got to tough it out. Like I should be able to do this on my own. And for me, I had linked a lot of my mental health issues and depression and insomnia and all the panic attacks with childhood trauma. And I thought, well, if I just did enough therapy or I was smart enough or I healed enough, well, I'm going to solve those things. And whilst like, number one, they're not to be solved, another air quote, 
I am <laughs> understanding that I do air quotes far more than I thought I did. Lisa. And it's adorable. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay. Love um, that about you. <laughs> what the heck was I even saying? Yeah. So I thought that, um, I don't know. I, I think like it's not solvable, but I thought I could fix myself. And I thought that I would be failing if I took medication. I was scared it would have me hooked on medication forever. I heard all the stuff on social media and rants about like the natural way and X, Y, Z. And it was really hard, but I had a friend who had anxiety and thank goodness for her. She told me about going on medication and how it changed so much for her. And so it opened up the conversation for me to talk to her about it. And she told me, she was like, well, she explained it like if you're you're just drowning constantly and then you go on therapy to try and deal with your past and you're just drowning even more. What if you had a lifeboat so you were above the water and then when you were dealing with your past and doing therapy and doing all these things that you do to try and heal, you were actually above water while you did that. Don't you think you would make like more progress and be happier and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, well, yeah, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great metaphor. I yeah. guess if I'm not like just drowning in water constantly. <laughs> so I had, I went and talked to my doctor. Now I got diagnosed with ADHD in 2022. And so my doctor had already been working on medication with me for ADHD. And it was funny how I could take medication for ADHD, for but not anxiety or depression because somehow that was easier in my head or more normalized or Interesting. something. And so I went to the doctor and the ADHD medications weren't working. I hadn't slept for, not due to the ADHD, due to trauma. I hadn't slept for three months and it was just like, it was hell, honestly. So I went in and I was like, do you think the ADHD meds would have a better chance of working if we looked at anxiety or depression medication first? And she was like, yes. So she referred me to a psychiatrist, started me on an anxiety medication. I could, the first thing I noticed was actually CLN noticed that my partner and she said, you don't externalize the anxiety. She noticed the panic attacks going down, the freak out, the anxious thoughts and talking. And I was like, I still feel the same amount of anxiety inside, but I wasn't outwardly expressing hmm. it as much. And so my doctor was like, well, that doesn't seem like the solution <laughs> that you're still experiencing the same amount. Anyway, had a psychiatrist appointment. That was super hard, but she suggested different medication. Over the past few months, we've transitioned it to the point where I'm sleeping without medication. Now, I haven't slept in a year and a half without sleeping pills wow. because it, it just, I don't know, my body just the couldn't wow do it anymore. The wow is that you are sleeping now, not that you weren't yes, sleeping. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm sleeping and I do feel- a You must feel like a different like, person just um, sleeping. I mean, that's it's like- It's so different. Like oh I can God. think and I have had insomnia like my whole life. So I think you get used to it to a degree, but you can never really be used to not sleeping. And so- yeah, I am different. I can think differently. I'm not having as many panic attacks. Now, this again, isn't to say I don't have suicidal thoughts or I don't have depression or I don't feel anxiety. Like that's not true. But the baseline is different where my brain can function. And mm -hmm. hell, I'm, I'm taking that medication every day. <laughs> like if I can now, like I talk to my therapist and I'm on the call and I'm like, there's something like going on in my life and I'm talking about it. And she's like, well, what do you, like, are, are you okay? Like about that? And I was like, well, no, like, I don't know what we're going to do about it, but you know, and she's like, you're not freaking out. Like, and it's so unknown. And she's like, this isn't like you. And it's cool. <laughs> Again, seeing that reflection back and she's like, wow, we can work on other stuff in therapy because you're not in a crisis 24 seven. Mm, amazing. 
I'm yeah, so happy so for you. I'm pro I'm so medication. Happy. Yay. I'm so happy yeah. for you. I'm so happy for you on so many levels. And I witnessed your transformation since, you know, 2018. I could tell you that it's far bigger internally than the external presentation, like your hair, you got a cute short haircut, you know, and I love your bandana. And those, those, that's like basically the things that, that I can really point to. But other than that, it's like, you know, I I feel your liberation. I feel your energetic Mm -hmm. liberation. And it just, you know, shows how sometimes how little things really show on the outside even though we think that everybody is fucking, you know, like everybody is fucking talking about that I've gained weight. I'm sure they are. And they think that I am a loser and how could they like hire me as a coach? Cause I, you know, can then <laughs> how could they trust me? And I'm not credible. Like all, and everybody oh must God. be talking about that. Right. And how little <laughs> people really do. And even if they do, if what we fear or what our concern is about standing online in the bathroom, even if it is true, it's not of our fucking business. <laughs> no. And I feel like our <laughs> brains are so mean to us. I you know, know. Like it's so crazy. never once have I ever thought any of those things about you. In fact, about other I people. Like, I know. Yeah, I feel like you look more you than ever. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You're, yeah. It's, and you liberate so many other people at the same time. Back at you. Back at you. that was amazing i love you thank you for being on the gfr show the gfr show would not be here without you thank you for the work that you do to heal so that you could be on my show Mm, i love you i love you okay over and out (laughs) oh wasn't that an amazing journey i i really i learned things I didn't know. I learned a lot and I always feel so juiced up by getting that firsthand perspective on things that I have not experienced myself, but I have so much compassion for like suicide and depression and, and gender identity. I have had my own journey with sexual identity, which I didn't really talk about much, but I do identify as pansexual and that has been really freeing for me too. And something that I've only discovered once when my husband and I had our adventures in non-monogamy, I got to actually experiment and really like open myself up to really finding, learning more about myself. And so I, that I can relate to somewhat. And of course, yeah, there's just so much on that journey. So to connect with Michaela, really the best is through their Instagram. So it's at Frankie's Donuts and at Scale Naturally. and in the mess with Mac. So we will put those links to their Instagram in the show notes. And I highly recommend working with Scale Naturally if you're really looking to create a business model based on their cool technology that really is very personal to you. And if you haven't gotten your GFR commandments and you don't know what your favorite one is, you want to grab those. It really is your roadmap for getting real. There is a link in the show notes it's gfr.life forward slash 12c and subscribe to the show because it's these stories that will remind you to speak your truth that will remind you that you have nothing to be ashamed of and remind you how important your mission is in the world over and out for now